Take me out to the ball game Take me out with the crowd Buy me some peanuts and cracker jacks well, I don't care if I ever get back Cause it's root, root for the whole team They don't wait, it's a shame Cause it's one, two, three strikes You're out at the Welcome to Let's Get To, the baseball show from the fans' perspective. Now here's your host, James Christopher. And welcome to Let's Get To. I am your host, James Christopher. And if you might notice behind me, this might be baseball heaven. We are at Werner Park, home of the Omaha Storm Chasers. Uh, Fans of Let's Get To and fans of the Austin Revolution Film Festival are pretty familiar with this park due to the movie 50 Summers. We're actually going to have the director of that movie on the show a little bit later on, but we are having a blast out here. Uh, I'm actually repping right now the Cleburne Railroaders, but you know me, I bet you I'm repping something a little bit different by the end of the episode. This place, my brother Tim and I are out from Austin in Houston, Texas. We're going to show it to you, but this place has already taken our breath away. It is like everything perfect about a ballpark, put into one spot. It takes a little bit of everything that's great and adds its own unique local flavor to it. So we can't wait to show it to you. We've got great guests. The San Antonio Missions are here. But before we jump in, we do want to do a special shout out to Angelos. We actually met him the other night at the Round Rock Express. He's a fan of Let's Get Two from Connecticut, happened to move to the Austin, Texas area, and we ran into each other at the pro shop buying gear because that's what it's all about so like i said we got a great show for you so stay with us who's on first the let's get to local nine brought to you by zoomer sport so we're excited to be joined on let's get to by jeremy sneed he is the director of public relations for your san antonio missions jeremy how's it going man i'm good thanks for having me i'm excited Thanks for jumping on. Um, we are a longtime missions fan. It was actually my very first, I think my very first actual affiliated minor league game somewhere around 20 years ago. So uh, we always love having you guys on. Yeah, appreciate it. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the season. We've jumped into it back down to double A. So you're getting to play a uh, more familiar schedule. But just from you, somebody who works in baseball after 2020 being weird and stuff, what was it like to finally be back out at the ballpark and getting some work in? Oh man, it was it was an amazing feeling, especially for me. The last couple of years have been a lot of jumping around. Uh, I interned with the missions in 2019. Yeah, I would say when things were were normal, we were AAA. There was a lot of fun stuff going on all the time. And then last year, I interned with the Tampa Bay Rays, which again was like supposed to be incredible. Would have been, you know, everything was at first going according to plan and. Of course, with the pandemic going on, everything just got just got switched around. But uh, it was kind of a blessing in disguise, I guess, because I was able to eventually come back, come back to the missions, uh, get get hired on as the the director of public relations. And it's just great seeing people get excited about coming back out to the ballpark, seeing seeing the missions, seeing the flying chanclas, and the and just trying to get back to a to a sense of normalcy. We're back to uh, we, we lifted the mask mandate. We're back at full capacity, and now with two week with a two week homestand coming up, I'm hoping that we can start filling up the ballpark again and seeing seeing some happy fans and, and some good baseball. 
Let's talk about the Flying Chonclas. Um, for those of you who watch the show know that San Antonio is one of the teams that I think was so awesome that they pivoted last year. They joined the TCL. And then like a couple of other squads, you guys have actually kept both teams. Talk a little bit about that decision. Why keep the TCL team as the San Antonio Flying Chonclas and also obviously playing double-A ball with the missions? Yeah, I think it was a lot of uh, like it, it was a big hit last summer from what I was from what I was told last summer with without having a minor league season. Um, it was refreshing for a lot of the San Antonio faithful to at least be able to come to some baseball right. last summer and to and to see the flying chanclas and have have some of the local kids adopt that that monitor for the summer. And with the Texas Collegiate League, it's a it's primarily kids from the San Antonio area, some Corpus kids, you know, like you branch out a little bit into other, other South Texas uh, areas, but primarily, and especially with this year's roster, it's primarily San Antonio kids. So it's an exciting time for people in our front office, local media who have covered these kids for the last four or five years and for them to be able to play on a professional field, with yeah. flying chocolate, uh, with the flying chocolate uniform that they've been watching missions use for the last couple of years. Um, and especially with last summer, like I mentioned, just being able to see some baseball and, um, front office staff was incredibly excited to, to do the, T, uh, the TCL league again this summer because of the success of it last year. And, uh, so far they're off to a great start too, with, uh, I believe it's, we were eight, no, the San Antonio flying chanclas or se- uh, seven and oh, I believe. Yeah. So that's been, that's been fun as well. How's that been logistically though? I mean, that's gotta be a lot of work. Um, first of all, I got to imagine having to marry the TCL schedule once your double A schedule came out, but it means a lot more games at the ballpark, right? Oh yeah. Uh, we just had the first homestand for the TCL and for, for June and July, it basically worked where when the missions are home, the, TCL flying chanclas are on the road and then vice versa. When the missions are on the road, that means we're hosting the, the TCL flying chanclas, but as much craziness as that brings, uh, especially for like people like me or like our general manager, Mickey hold, who's in charge of a lot of the media aspects. It's a lot of work to juggle both of those things, but it's a, it's a beautiful thing to, be able to have baseball almost yeah. on a day-to-day basis other than Mondays, but to have nonstop home games with with collegiate league and with the missions, it's definitely a lot of fun, even though it, it can be a little, uh, it can be a little crazy, but it's, it's, yeah, all, worth, it's all worth it. And you know, I got to imagine July, it's going to be pretty tiring, but you're exactly right. It's great to have it out there. Um, you know, San Antonio, I don't think there was any doubt that San Antonio would survive the, what I'm referring to as musical chairs of death that was MILB uh, contraction. Um, but the drop to double A, um, how did the, the, is the town cool with that? I mean, or, or, or how was, how are the fans, did the fans react to that? Yeah, I think it was, again, kind of going back to like a sense of normalcy because the jump to triple A was more bizarre than the jump back to double A because the missions have been a double A affiliate for a long time, as long as, I've been told, uh, obviously. Sure, yeah. and, um, so the triple A jump was a little bit more of like a, whoa, this is different. Uh, and the Brewers affiliate, that was a new thing for, for San Antonio. But I think it's, I think it's refreshing for, for the community to go back to, they had a good relationship with the Padres before. There was a lot of talent back then that came through with Tatis, with Paddock, Hunter Renfro, Trey Turner for a little while. 
Um, and so now to see those guys succeeding and now to see the missions back with, with Padres for the next, I believe 10 years was the contract that they yeah. signed. Um, now it's a nice uh, refreshing point to see what kind of new talent can come through San Antonio again with, with the Padres organization. And sort of neat with El Paso being the AAA club, like there's a certain Texas thing going on. Um, I am a diehard Astros fan and we're still not talking about <laughs> Fernando Tatis right now. I'll let you know when we get there though. Okay. My yeah. therapist and I are, <laughs> we're working it out. Um, but let's talk about the upcoming homestand. We're going to be bringing a big crew out. We're bringing about, um, I think eight folks from our, my film production company are coming out to see the game. I'll be out there early to cover it for everybody. But what are some of the big highlights coming up on this homestand? Yeah, so right right away, I mean, we're going to have promotions almost almost every night, uh, starting starting tomorrow, Tuesday night, $2 Tuesday, which is always always a big hit. You got $2 draft beers, $2 sausage wraps, $2 pizza, $2 infield and outfield reserve tickets, $2 parking. So good night to bring a nice group, bring the family out for a nice little inexpensive trip to the ballpark. We're playing the Midland Rockhounds, who have a lot of uh, talent on their side as well as as the missions do but so two dollar tuesdays going on and we're going to have the flying chanclas uh thursday night uh coincide with taco bell value night so again you got two dollar two dollar draft beers two dollar coca-cola yeah. products um two dollar hot dogs so a lot of fun stuff there friday night we're doing our first jersey giveaway of the season uh, missions alternate blue jersey so those are always obviously fun we're doing three jerseys this year and this will be the first one of the season and, uh, got, for the jerseys what's the fan number because i know that i'm going to be coming and i need to get my hands on one so just you know for first, me huh? first two thousand fans into nelson wolf stadium will be will be gifted a uh, missions alternate blue jersey so that's going on friday june 11th uh saturday june 12th we've got our first post-game fireworks show of the year that's going to be sponsored by kaleg auto group we had some technical difficulties with our first scheduled post-game fireworks show but we're good to go for this time around, uh, and then uh, wrapping up the the homestand on Sunday before uh, we start another homestand next week. That's awesome, and I, and I think you know I'm, I love the fact that it's back to normal, um, and it, or it's getting back to normal. One thing I wanted to sort of shock, surprise you with as a question is is just talk a little bit about um, the role you guys play when it comes to the Air Force presence in San Antonio. I'm a veteran and I love the idea of, um, I used to go to Oklahoma City Red Hawks games. I guess that was my first minor league team. So there you go. Um, but man, PTSD flashback for you right here live <laughs> on the show. But talk a little bit about that. I mean, that's a big part of your community that, that that's coming out to ball games. Oh, absolutely. I mean, every, every night we do a salute to military uh, during – it tends to be around like the mid mid fourth mid fifth we always do a salute to military um and of course like pretty much like half the crowd stands up yeah. they, obviously they know they know someone or they or they've served themselves it's always cool like people like myself who aren't from san antonio originally uh it's always cool and it never gets old seeing seeing the planes fly over nelson wolf stadium all day long um uh, that that never gets old and i know in the past we've had we've had like different promote, not, not, I don't want to say like promotions, but sort of like we've had military nights in the past that we're, we're working on trying to get, trying to get that back up and running. Uh, at least to my knowledge, that's, that's something that might be in the works is, is doing some military nights. Uh, I believe we might be bringing back the, some of our camo jerseys, not the full camo, but like the camo letters 
that we've worn in the past. I believe that that should be on the horizon soon. And Good. we always make sure to have have color guards. And the, and the military is definitely a big presence in in San Antonio and with the Michigan's games. Well, we are excited to be a presence ourselves. We'll be out this week covering you guys. He's Jeremy Sneed from the San Antonio Missions. Jeremy, thanks so much for being on Let's Get Two. Thanks for having me. From the bleachers, the Let's Get Two Game of the Week. So again, we are out here at Warner Park, home of the Omaha Storm Chasers. This is our From the Bleachers segment. This stadium is awesome. Warner Park has been an amazing experience. So take a look at what we saw at our day watching the Omaha Storm Chasers take on the Iowa Cubs. Let's go. No matter how old I get, few things fill me with as much anticipation as showing up to a ballpark. After an early flight that came with an even earlier wake up, out of the green Nebraska landscape, Warner Park greeted these two travelers like the Emerald City from the work of L. Frank Baum. I ran ahead of my brother as he was shooting the concourse to get the sight of the fresh green grass, the brown dirt, set against a clear blue sky with white clouds. It dawned on me that this was the first game of the eight we've been to so far that didn't carry with it an overcast sky and a thread of rain. The look of the park set against the sky is baseball poetry, a 360 degree sonnet dedicated to the greatest game ever. The park consists of great sight lines all the way around where you never lose sight of the game no matter where you are. We got to spend some time with Chasers president Marty Cordero and it struck me how he was always in motion, greeting fans, encouraging team members. This carries over to the ballpark staff who are always quick with a smile and a helping hand. We felt welcome. We felt like we were home. Omaha is fully aware of its baseball history, from the retired number of Jackie Robinson to the statue of Omaha native and Cardinals great Bob Gibson that greets you as you enter the ballpark. And the history of Omaha baseball itself, from the Royals to the Storm Chasers, from Rosenblatt to Warner Park, is on display, both in the beautiful mural on the exterior of the ballpark and the walls of the press box. But Omaha baseball is also about the present and the future and its new fans. So that means cool mascots like Stormy and Casey. We swear he got one of the hats on a kid's head before we started rolling. Sorry, Stormy. These days, ballparks have everything. Basketball courts, pools, even a lazy river down in Texas. But this is the first time I've seen a full wiffle ball field at a ballpark. You think the kids know that America's favorite minor league baseball show host is throwing to them? Probably not. You never know what you're going to see at a game, including that same baseball show host playing air guitar on a berm by himself. Warner Park comes with a fun zone for kids of all ages, including a functioning carousel. And enjoying the game here is paramount, with clubs, suites, and an outfield party deck to hang out and see some baseball. But for me, it's hard to beat a summer day on the cool grass in the outfield berm. And when you're not at a Storm Chasers game, there's still lots to enjoy when you make the trip, including some baseball history at Rosenblatt Stadium, longtime home of the College World Series. Hook 'em horns, baby. We took in the zoo and we're not disappointed. One of the best we've been to and we will definitely come back. Omaha will be on this show's radar for years to come. We can see annual trips to Warner Park and some of the best baseball fans in the game. And when it comes to the best in minor league baseball, there's no place like the home of the Omaha Storm Chasers. 
Hey guys, it's Tim with Let's Get Two of That. Uh, we're here at Warner Park, uh, home of the Omaha Store Champions. We got Matt here, the executive chef, and we're kind of talking about food and we're showing you some of the places here that, that, are, that are available to eat and the kind of foods you have. And we kind of want to pick your brain. So, what is y'all's general cuisine mission here? Well, it's a fresh concept. We try to keep everything fresh. Like, you know, the farm to fork. You hear a lot of that, or heard a lot of that in, in the past. Um, we're kind of doing the same thing here to where we're getting, you know, Lafredo's our fresh produce company. Um, we're also going to some farms around here to get the dairy products and eggs. Um, and then, crazy ideas. Beyond that, it's just, you know, trying to wow the fan or, or keep the fan excited about the food. Because, yeah, of course, you go to a ballpark, you want hamburger and hot dog, right? Right, Popcorn, right. Popcorn, whatever, but, um, Try to keep it very creative. Yeah, I know. I was doing a little research before we came out here, and I was kind of looking forward to having the brisket Wellington, which can't have it today because of you know certain things with the COVID and all. <laughs> yeah, but, but it sounds yes. delicious, and yeah. that's really creative, and it sounds like a brilliant idea. Uh, reading about it, it just seems pretty amazing. So yeah, I get that absolutely. What are your plans coming back from COVID? I noticed some of the, some of the stands aren't necessarily open right away. Yeah. So. Um, right now, I think we're at thirty-three percent. And then uh, by, I, from what I heard, I don't know if it's true or not, to <laughs> say in the background, uh, they said that in July we'll be at 100%. Um, so with that, then I'll be able to bring out all the specialty items, uh, the brisket Rollington, which is the brisket mozzarella, a barbecue slaw, wrapped in the two egg rolls, because they're giant. They're like the biggest as much. Man, that sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds really, really good. So, and you got an interesting hat on there. What, what, what's the so, hat so on? Tomorrow night is the Runza night, and um, they come out. Since we're the only place here in Nebraska that has the Runzas, they sponsored us, and we came out with the Runza hat. I got Runza socks that I'll be wearing tomorrow night, and uh, it's kind of awesome to come out, and then they give away little mini Runzas to all the fans. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's great. Very cool. Well, Matt, thanks for being on the show with us. Yeah, um, absolutely. Thank you, guys. No problem. Look easy, and we'll get some food. So, we had a great time tonight in uh, Warner Park, and uh, we tried some good food. Um, we weren't able to try everything, as Matt told us earlier, but I went to the Hot Dog Nation and scored myself the Hollow Pot Penio Cheddar Brat. Look at that, looks awesome. So, you guys, next time we'll make some good food or we'll see some good food. But until then, let's get two of that. Swaller, a chug of Ballpark Brew, presented by The Hitter Sports. So we are back here on Holler and a Swaller, and I've got one of the best okay. people in independent film with me, Dan Napoli. He is the director of 50 Summers. You're too kind, man. It's the second best baseball documentary ever made. High praise. Maybe a little higher than we deserve, but we'll take it. No, Thanks you got to own man. it. Now, but before we get to you, I want to let's show off what we're drinking yeah. here. These are um, ale storms. 
And it is uh, – do we find the brewery on here, Dan? Do you know the brewery? Oh, is it, I think it's still Nebraska Brewery, Nebraska right? Brewery. We're hearing off camera from off one of our camera. producers. Producer, come on, man. You're, you should Nebraska know better. Brewery. You're supposed to stop people from but, doing that. But how cool is this? It is yeah, – and we'll get a better fi- cool. picture for this. But it is a, a beer made just for the Omaha Storm Chasers. Yeah. And it's – And we've seen the process. It's super cool the way, like, they can it and everything. It's done locally. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a super cool – I mean – Minor league baseball as a whole, but certainly here, like the Omaha group, it's like localism as much as they can. Yeah, it's, it's like it's cool. That's that's like really really promoted. So yeah, it's it's awesome it, it that they what, have their own. You it's know? what makes it awesome. And, and I know a couple other ball clubs do this. I know Durham has a couple. And nice. Now the Northwoods League is oh, cool. doing a couple for each of their individual parks. But this is something that really makes it special. Um, now before we 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 taste it, which we'll do in a second. Uh, you made 50 summers, but I wanted to, you, to talk about what's next. It's, like as film guys, right? Yeah. That's always the question. That's the most scary. What's your next what's film, next? right? Well, I don't know. Funny. So I as we take three hours on this piece of crap, that's what it's next. Okay. Sorry. Anyway, I'm having flashbacks. What's next? No, no, no. Uh, so what's next? Uh, actually two days after, um, we're filming this. Um, so maybe by the time it airs, I will be in Milwaukee. Um, we're working on a documentary on a MMA fighter, um, Rafion Stotts. Uh, he right now is the number four ranked bantamweight in Bellator. Um, it's called Heart Means Everything. Okay. Um, Roth Scott, it, he's a Texas boy, which I'm sure you guys would love. Yeah. Um, just incredible Houston human. Kid, you said, right? Yeah. Houston incredible kid, okay. story. Incredible human. Um, and just like we've, we first crossed paths, paths with, with, pardon me, easy for me to say, right? Yeah, right. We first crossed paths with Roth. Prior to 50 Summers, maybe, we are working some stuff for, like, developmental MMA, and he had kind of come on our radar. Um, and so we're really, really excited. Um, we're going to be in Milwaukee for uh, about a week, um, knock out some interviews. Uh, that's currently where he lives. He trains at Rufus Sports, which is a very iconic spot uh, in the world of MMA. So, yeah, that's what's next for us. couple other kind of, like, things. And you know how this stuff goes, like, right, in development, yeah. that if I mention... Gorman and then Bill will punch me in the face, so I can't actually say on camera. Yeah. But like, we can't some secret stuff that the big guys like we're not allowed to say on camera yet. But the you know, there's the wheels are always turning on stuff. Um, you seem to have found a niche, I guess, gravitated towards sports. Um, obviously, Fifty Summers. I we could even argue. Uh, the best kids in Texas. Yeah, uh, is, I, I mean it's a sport in extreme paintball. Um, what is it about telling stories in the backdrop of sports that's kind of got you as an artist kind of fired up? <sighs> Maybe it's my background and the combinations of my background. Um, I grew up loving sports, sports of all forms. Um, I played baseball into college. Um, obviously, as you can see by my giant stature, how much <laughs> I tower over Jim. Um, <laughs> My raw physical prowess was not what I got by on. Um, I was always, I always had to like sort of outwork, outsmart. And so I think that maybe gave me a certain perspective on sports and then being kind of creative and then seeing like the subcultures that are associated with sports. I think that like that pulls me in more of stories I want to tell than like the most giant, giant like. Um, not that I wouldn't work on a Conor McGregor doc, but like, right, like Conor right. McGregor, like everybody knows, but like Rafion's like unique little story, like people don't know, or like, you know, m- minor league baseball, this little world that like not everybody knows and not everybody understands. And then like where that sports intersects with like culture, a community, like I, those things kind of appeal to me. 
I mean, honestly, we're you're on a show that's more of a travel show than a sports show, even though it's about <laughs> baseball, so we get it. Well, we can't wait to see it. Um, I mean, obviously, when you ask a documentary filmmaker who's in production, when can we see it? Um, when can you it's see years. it? years, yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be a while. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's up to our talent, especially when you're documenting, like ongoing like real life um you know rafian's having a lot of success in bellator um you know what his arc is you know that's always the the thing yeah. when you're documenting real life is like where do you dip out like hopefully they give you like a nice little button um you know when it's historical you have a little bit more leeway i mean probably 2022 okay um but like don't super hold me to i know it. i know a place in austin that'll be excited to have it well yeah dude uh, Let's, let's grab this. Up. Absolutely. This is Holler and Swaller presented by the Hitter Sports. I want everybody to follow the Hitter Sports on Twitter. Right now, uh, his Yankees aren't doing great, so maybe be nice when you follow him on Twitter, but definitely you want to follow him. Uh, we're having the ale storm. Yeah. Good luck to you. Let's Holler and Swaller, Salute. baby. Let's do it. Show me the merch. The best from the pro shop. So we are back here on Show Me the Merch, and we have just hit up the Omaha Storm Chasers Pro Shop. Now, first, I got this sweet jersey and this powder blue logo cap. I love a good light blue cap. And I'll be honest, uh, I was wearing a heavy gray cap earlier, and it's a little warm, so I'm super excited. Now, we also got, for the rest of our team, Tim picked up their Copa de la Diversión identity ball cap, the Cazadores de Tormentas. Is that right? Yep. Heck, yeah, that's right. And then Andy Tom Chesson, I have to pay him back three ball caps. This is number one, and he went with the black and gold O logo cap. So check them out online. Um, the pro shop was impressive. Like everything else that we've been out here for, it is stacked. It feels like a major league pro shop in a lot of ways. There's a big variety of gear, lots of cool stuff to choose from. So check them out online and get some definitely some gear. That's going to be a great conversation starter. Let's Get To presents the McIntyre Mule, the Scott McIntyre Baseball Experience. So we are excited to be joined by Scott McIntyre to talk about the Super Regionals. I'm just excited to see, Scott, that you still have a pulse after a very, I mean, you look at the box score and it was a walk, but that was a tense ball game. Dude, that was, that was incredible. And Charlie Welch, I mean, seriously, Charlie Welch for, for the Hogs, even though there was a a wild pitch that made it three, two right before dude. the extension and just the yeah. pose. Anybody that wants to see the sweetest look in a, in a, a swing ever, just go to my Facebook page and take a look at the cover photo. It's and your cover photo. I saw that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah I, was at, I was at the, at the round rock express game, had the game up on my phone for the second half. And, and it was, a, it was a lot of, it was weird because clearly neither um, Arkansas nor Nebraska watched the end of last week's episode when we talked about celebrating because uh old boy for nebraska celebrates the swing and mitch miss for out number two and before he yeah. records out three it's now a tie ball game and then old boy from arkansas steps on the mound and it's still a tie ball game they really uh mess with the baseball gods a lot in that in that particular ball game there was a lot of there was some flexing there was some definite flexing going on in that series. And I mean, hey, you know, Nebraska's Big Ten champs. It's kind of wild that the champions of a, of a power conference get sent to the number one overall seed 
uh, even in a regional, but you know, if, if you're going to be the man, you got to beat the man. So, uh, so, yeah. you know, way to go hogs. Um, and and for your efforts, you get NC State, <laughs> which we're about to talk about. Let's talk a little bit about the super regionals. Um, any matchup of the of the re, of what we have scheduled now? We have three game series. Uh, some starting Friday, some starting Saturday. Um, anyone look particularly trappy for the higher ranking seed going in, or do you see all the high ranking seeds ending it make ending up in Omaha? Yeah, um, for the most part, I think the. Um, the higher seeds will. There's, I, I think Arkansas has a trap game with NC State. NC State has a 21. Uh, their batting average is 21 points better than Arkansas, but Arkansas's ERA is a point better. Yeah. But when you got one guy on the team who has a 0.6 ERA, that counts going to lower it. So that that's a little, that's not as pretty as it as it looks. I, I think Arkansas is going to take a full three games to get through NC State. Um, you know, as I look through the other ones, East Carolina is a lower seed to Vanderbilt, but I, and, yeah. and East Carolina has a number one All American pitcher. Yeah, However, it's weird. that's a that's a that's an that's a the one I wanted to talk to you about. That's an interesting matchup because on paper to me, Vanderbilt, because of those two starters, feels like maybe the best team still around, still standing. Um, do you think ECU has a shot in that tournament? And that I uh, think they're going to have to. I think they're going to have to beat all of the baseball gods. So ECU has been to 31 NCAA tournaments without an appearance in the College World Series. It is the uh-huh. longest streak in college baseball. They've been there 17 times in the last 21 years. And in super regional games, ECU historically is 1-10. and 10. So yeah, and Vanderbilt on the other side, this is their third time in a row to host a super regional. And they've yeah. been in the super regional seven of, of the last eight years. So ECU has, is like David looking up at Goliath right now. On this paper, very, they should be uh, able to compete with them. This is a very Cleveland Indians versus the New York Yankees in the playoffs vibe. To yeah, based on those numbers yeah. shared. No, I completely, I completely agree. And I, I just, I don't. That's so much to overcome, and that that stuff does get in your headspace. You know, I, I hate to I hate to say that, but Vandy's been there and done that. I I think ECU is going to take them three games. I think they'll win their second college. Uh, super regional college game ever, but um, I don't see him getting past Vandy. Um, the the other one though, that you can get past though. Uh, our friend of the, and part of our show, Andy, uh, Andrew Nelson has sort of adopted. He jumped into college baseball because of us this year. And he's kind of adopted nice. ECU. He'd be so excited. Yeah. Was that who we, who also wanted a Campbell hat? We've got a discussion about that too. No, I, I think the, um, I think the lower seed that has the opportunity to beat the higher seed, and it's not that great of one is Notre Dame and Mississippi state, just because neither one went through a regional that was really all that impressive to me. Uh, Mississippi state had Samford, Virginia Commonwealth and Campbell to get through. Hmm. Uh, Notre Dame got through central Michigan, Michigan, and Yukon. Now, no offense to those teams, but I mean, they're, they're not exactly, known powerhouses and and in both cases mississippi state and notre dame they ran through those like i uh, like bad thai food runs through me and none of that's impressive trust me uh so i i'm just i i look at this thinking that that notre dame probably has the best shot to to knock off a team simply because they have so much offense notre dame can explode and mississippi state it wasn't that long ago. Yes, they won the regional, but when they were in the SEC tournament, they were two games in and out. They lost to Florida 13 to one, oh, and wow. then they lost to Tennessee 12 to two. So when you get run ruled back to back, and then you get to host a regional and a super regional, uh, forgive me if I just don't think you're that impressive. You're going to have to show something to me. I'm, so um, I'm just disappointed that it's not in Notre Dame because I don't know that there's a prettier ballpark at the collegiate level than what they're playing at in South Bend. I watched two or three of those uh, regional games and just was like, that looks gorgeous. 
Yeah, I, that would, I, I would, uh, I mean, I would, I would think that, um, honest to goodness, if I had the choice between going to South Bend and Starkville, <laughs> dude, there ain't nothing in Starkville. I mean, I'm sorry. It's Stark. There's cowbells and some co-eds and that's it. And a baseball field. That's it. Let's talk about so, the, yeah, I'd rather go to South Bend. <laughs> the first two seeds, right? So we have Texas and Arkansas and, and you and I are hopefully on a collision course to make this show yes. very interesting. Um, yes. But let's talk a little bit about them. Two very different paths to get to the Super Regional. Texas never faced an issue. They were one of, like, I think, eight teams in the history of uh, the NCAA tournament to win all their games by 10 runs. I think, coincidentally, Notre Dame also did that this year uh, versus being, you know, Arkansas was pushed to the brink. Does any of that matter with a week between games or do you start the super regional and it doesn't have an effect on you? Because we all know sometimes when you're tested, you're a little bit better prepared versus if you don't really face a whole lot of, of, of adversity, sometimes you get complacent. So do you think any of those teams is worried about any kind of a hangover or, or any, anything like that that's going to affect the super regional matchups? Well, let me say Texas to begin with. I think you guys have an absolute clear path. I mean, if I had to put a lock, on any team, I would bet on General Custer at Little Bighorn against the spread before I would bet on South Florida against right. Texas. You just uh, jinxed the Longhorns, and maybe, uh, maybe no. I mean, <laughs> look, USF USF deserves all the credit for getting this far, okay? But they were in a prime regional. Florida and Miami were neither one playing all that great. Kind of slumping, kind of depressive seasons. South Alabama probably was the best other team in that regional. Um, USF was picked dead last in the preseason conference poll. They went 38 and 20 or 31 and 28 and won their tournament to get into this tournament. But the, the slipper comes off. I mean, Austin is a different, that's a different ball. So ball you're park. saying the oh, bull is going to get the together. horns this year. The bull's going to get the horns this year. I like it. I like it very well. Um, the horn. Yeah. That's a really good picture. Um, I didn't <laughs> think about that. You got bulls versus longhorns. Like, yeah. That would actually be interesting to watch. Just put the two animals in the field together. I would love that. The former, in fact, the former fight and Charlie Strong's both groups. Hey, good call. Before he moved to the NFL. Yeah. Very good call. Yeah. I I just don't think that South Florida has anything there for Texas. Texas has a, um, has a walk in, in my opinion. I, if you're feeling stress in either one of those two games, I'm surprised Arkansas on the other hand, um, I think where, where the hangover may show up is the fact that they used um, the best pitcher in college baseball this year, Kevin Copps, period, hands down. Um, he will be national player of the year. If he's not, it's, it's a robbery. Um, Kevin Copps went seven innings um, in, the, in the final game win against Nebraska out of the bullpen. That was after he had already gone four innings. He's been known to go three, four, five, six innings um, before that. Over the course of the year, when's the arm going to give out? Is it now? Is it in the College World Series? Does he make it all the way through? And maybe not give out, but just get tired. Right. Now, the one benefit to that is when your arm gets a little bit tired, your breaking pitch uh, will get a little bit better. And he um, that's what he relies on is this incredible off-speed pitch that that just dives off a table. Um you know, he, he throws a pitch and he gets over the edge of the bathtub and goes down the drain. Uh, it's pretty impressive. Uh, so, but Arkansas can't rely on that one guy, right. I wouldn't think, to get through this series. And, and, and the Razorbacks aren't hitting the ball like they should be. They're just not. Um, so I, I, 
I think there may be a bit of a hangover or it could be a wake up call. It's going to be one or the other. If the bats are cold and they stay cold, Arkansas is in trouble against North Carolina state. They're going to struggle. Uh, if the bats wake up, they should beat NC state because NC state doesn't have the pitching to hang with them. Uh, but we'll see. We'll, we'll see. But I think Texas, I think the, the two seed uh, goes um, absolutely makes it uh, to the college world series. Um, you know, we're, we're guaranteed a Cinderella team also this year, Jim, because you've got Dallas Baptist and Virginia yeah. playing each other. Virginia started off 10 and 13. They were 17 and 18 at one point. Now they're 33 and 24. I went to public school in Arkansas, but I can tell you that math tells me they've won 18 of their last 24. Um, Virginia also won their regional in the ballpark in South Carolina. Welcome to the year of COVID when we have super regionals at neutral sites. Um, uh, interesting thing about the regional, by the way, over there, it was held in Columbia, South Carolina, because Old Dominion, who was the top seed in that, didn't put in a bid for a regional. Whoa. <laughs> and then they lost their regional. And you know what? <laughs> you deserve to lose your regional. Put in a bid. Come on. Yeah. Um, we've had bid, we've had regionals and super regionals at Louisiana Lafayette. If you can go down there to South Bay, Louisiana, down there on the bayou, you can come on down here. We play baseball down here with the 2,000 <laughs> people in the stand. It's okay. Uh, they could do the exact same thing in Old Dominion with an altar like this instead. Uh, but uh, anyway, I think it's Virginia like you got is really hot. To send your mail. <laughs> a little bit. You got to talk slower and think faster when you're <laughs> down there among the salt grass. Um, I picked Dallas Baptist to actually win that regional. Um, um, against TCU and Dallas Baptist is a good program for a long time. So Virginia and Dallas Baptist, uh, that's actually some pretty good baseball that, that's going to be played there. I think Virginia is on a roll and in the right place. They're hot. Uh, so I think they'll get past DBU, uh, but, but it's still going to be pretty good. Dallas Baptist was in a super regional a decade ago. They've had a program that's kicked around, even though they play in the yeah. Missouri Valley conference, they're kind of like the Wichita state, Wichita state was in basketball there for, for has been for quite some time. Uh, or even Butler, I think Dallas Baptist is, is poised uh, to be that in, in baseball. So it um, should be an interesting regional. I want to get away from the regionals real quick and super regionals real quick and talk a little yep. bit about two coaching changes that were were announced over the last week. And first, let's talk about Texas A&M. Um, Andy Tomchesson's fighting Texas Aggies. We're going to have him on a little bit later on in the episode to talk about this too. But from TCU, Schloss has moved from Fort Worth to A&M. How much is that going to help AM get over the hump in the SEC? AM's got all of the um, they've got the facilities, they've got the money, they've got everything that I mean, look, getting over the hump in in the SEC is tough. That's a huge hump. And you think about you know, there's not the divisional teams, but you've got like six of the top 10 teams uh, that, that are in the SEC, Tennessee, Arkansas, Vanderbilt, Florida. LSU is having a down year in there in a super regional for crying out loud. Mississippi State, Ole Miss are in super regionals. It's tough. That that's a I mean that's jumping in the in the fire um, for sure. But I think they're they're getting the right coach. They needed to make a change because things had kind of flattened out at AM. Yeah. Uh, so I, I I think making the changes is a smart thing. And TCU's had some had some success with Slosh uh, Schloss. So it, it, I think it's the right move. I think they needed to make the move. I don't know if it'll work out simply because, I mean, it's, it's like going up against the SEC in football, you know, in the SEC West. Okay, great. But you've got Nick Saban and the monster at LSU and all, I mean, good crap, yeah. you know, it's, so yeah. what does this do to TCU then? Do they, are they, because TCU, it's almost like if, if they lost Patterson in football, who knows what they would be uh, going forward. So what does this do to them? 
TCU spent some money on facilities and upgrades, and, and they got a really good looking ballpark from what I could see um, watching the regional there. Um, I think that in and of itself, and playing in a, in a conference like the Big 12, I think there's, you know, the SEC is a great baseball conference. Um, uh, the Pac 10, the Pac 12, Pac, however many they got this week, um, is, a, is, is a good baseball conference as well. Uh, Big 12 is, is right there with them. Big, I mean, Texas Tech, Texas, um, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma in most years, everybody but Iowa State. Please, somebody tell me why Iowa State doesn't have a baseball team. I need to know this still. Uh, but TCU has the facilities. They're in a great area there in the Metroplex. Um, who are they going to compete with for players? Dallas Baptist? I mean, come on. Um, TCU should be able to compete in the Big 12. They should, therefore, be able to compete to get the best coach available. The money's there. I mean, it's a private Christian institution. I promise you the money's there. Yeah. Uh, so uh, they, um, I think they'll go out. I think they'll find the right guy. And who knows, man, baseball is getting younger and the coaches are getting younger by and large. So you may have a guy that's sitting up there at the age of 30, 32, and he's been a, a GA for a couple of years and assistant for, for six or seven. He's ready to go. He, he's locked and loaded, knows how to recruit um, kids from all over the place and bring them in. And God knows you've got enough uh, baseball talent in the state of Texas to, to field a team like TCU. So uh, well, I mean, let's, it, let's transition to another private college. Houston Baptist made some waves by hiring uh, by hiring former Cardinal great and Astros great Lance Berkman. How much does a name like Lance Berkman, um, who I know had you know he coached uh, I think he was second Baptist in Houston or or had been a part of various high school coaching staffs as well. How much does a name like that help elevate a program like Houston Baptist, knowing that they still have access to some of that same state talent that, like you mentioned, Dallas Baptist and in TCU having. Yeah, it um when when teams do that, you've I've seen teams, you know, Jackson State did that with Deion Sanders, right? In football, boom, here's the splash, here's the name. And and you get the immediate splash. You get an influx of money from donors who who get excited because you've got that name to go along with it. Um, basketball, though, I think is the best example where, where teams have done that. You've got Juwan Howards at Michigan, who are really good and go for national championships. And then you have guys like Corliss Williamson, who was a stud basketball player at Arkansas, but they hired him as a coach at central Arkansas and he went two and 26 or something like that. Uh, so I don't, I think you get an influx of money. Uh, therefore you get um, a little bit of an upgrade in facility, maybe a little bit more to your recruiting budget. Uh, the name itself, how well is the name Lance Berkman going to ring with 18 year olds? I don't know because he's been out for so long, mm-hmm. but it's going to ring with their daddies and maybe their mamas. And that's going to help. Um, so I don't know how much the name itself helps recruiting, but I do think it definitely helps the donor base and the alumni uh, want to give, you know what I mean? So, I mean, it's not a bad idea. If I'm Houston Baptist, what do I have to lose? Right. I really answer Berkman. Yeah. He knows baseball. At a minimum, and you got people buying season tickets, even just for the chance to get to meet Lance Berkman. He has got me. If Roger Roger Clemens can coach team Texas with all the piping, with all the piping, all the piping in the world. Mm, got more pipes than Burl Ives telling you a story at Christmas time. Uh, then Lance Berkman can absolutely coach Houston Baptist. The last yeah. thing I want to say, Texas Tech and Stanford, I think Texas Tech sweeps them harder really? than anything. Uh, I don't think that Stanford should be there. They got um, they, 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 they got a gift from UC Irvine. I think Texas Tech's going to roll. All right. Well, he is Scott McIntyre. I'm James Christopher. Uh, All I can say is hook them horns and woo pig suey. Here's hoping 
that we get uh, we get all that uh, we get the big matchup you and I are hoping for. You said those two things in the same breath. There are people from the 1960s that are rolling over in their graves right now. But I, I kind of like this. So we'll pick Sue and go horns. Let's I hook them horns there. There, I said them both and go hoots. Let's get to presents Goodwood knocking around the majors with Andy Tom Chesson. So we've got some good wood today. We are here with Andy Tom Chesson. And Andy, there's cheating in baseball again. <gasps> Clutch my pearls. I, I am um, I'm wearing black today um, because I am despondent. Uh, almost, uh, almost suicidal, honestly, at the idea that the integrity of baseball has been tarnished and sullied once again. I immediately, and I don't get to quote Casablanca on this show ever. So let me just say, I'm shocked to find out that there's gambling here. You're winning, sir. Um, yeah. So catch us up. Where, how did we get here and where are we uh, going, I guess? And are we starting to see already MLB's threat to, to actually start inspecting balls um, kind of have an impact on the game? I mean, first of all, the only place you should be inspecting balls is at your um, physical, and that's after age 40. Before that, it's unnecessary. You're just playing um, with it. Just, it's not an exam <laughs> at that point. Um, so the history, uh, I don't even know how far we need to go back in the history. It is common knowledge that pitchers for as long as they have been able to throw balls have been doing things to the balls to be able to manipulate the balls better uh, to the point that the reason that the baseballs look the way they do and are changed out so frequently is because uh, in the early 1900s, a guy died because the ball loaded up with so much mud that he couldn't see it got hit in the skull and died on the field. That, that's how far, I and mean, we're not talking about a recent development in baseball. We're not even talking about a recent, like you and I think the 80s were last week. I mean, it's literally, this has been going on for 100, as long as somebody's been throwing a ball, somebody's been trying to get advantage of throwing that ball. What the current outrage is, um, or the current news about this is, is there is now the understanding that maybe your top pitchers in the league have been using a substance called spider tack. And this is going beyond the pale of, you know, the common jokes. You've seen the movie Major League, loading up the ball with Vagisil or uh, rubbing your nose if the umps are watching you too close with a little bit of jalapeno just to you put snot on the ball. And those are all things that actually happened, too. That was taken as a point of fact. Um, you've now got some guys, as they will, who have gone a little bit beyond the pale and have taken an industrial strength adhesive applied it to their hands and gloves and everything else. And, and I'm not sitting here naming names because anyone who's watching this can get on Twitter and figure out who we're talking about um, because it's not exactly a secret, but um, they've gotten really, really good by really, really increasing their spin rate in a really, really rapid amount of time when they had no history of being able to do this as they were younger. So you've got pitchers who have gotten older who've signed really, really large contracts the last two off seasons whose spin rate got better the older they got. That's not a normal thing. 
Now, I'm saying all this, and I'll probably say this a few times, I don't begrudge them any of this because no. baseball hasn't ever enforced this. This hasn't ever been anything other than kind of a common knowledge thing, just like, I don't know, batters try to steal signs. <laughs> it's a thing. Um, so, so where uh, we are... To cut, sorry to cut you off. So I've seen the comparison to steroids, not in the severity of it, and that's actually a topic for later, but yeah. has MLB – Two questions. Has MLB created a harder problem for themselves by knowing it was going on and deciding now to enforce it? Second question, is the timing with the CBA, do you think that that's a factor? Is this another attempt to, like, I think the way they handled sign stealing with our Strohs was to, in, in some way, shape, or form, weaken the union? Is, is, is Are any of those two things a factor? So second question first, uh, the timing is absolutely designed to split the players union as much as they can to put pit the players against one another. That, that's the only reason this is a thing now, because we've said we've made it very nice and tidy over the last two off seasons that, well, the Astros are evil and they're the only evil thing in all of baseball. So if you just concentrate on them being evil because they're the only team that's ever stolen a sign, we're fine. Baseball's good. All the integrity is still there, except in Houston. And that really stopped in 2018, except for buzzers, which we're not going to say didn't happen, but we're not going to say did happen. We're just going to let you run with your imagination and try to build media empires off, you know, internet rumors. So the only reason logically you'd come up and try to start making this a thing now and enforcing it now um, is to let's see how worked up we can get the batters against the pitchers. Let's see how we can get the players and the players union specifically to start fighting amongst itself while they need to be as unified as possible heading into the off season when the CBA expires on December 1st or November 1st uh, of this coming year. Um, that that's the real issue. And that's kind of makes everything else inconsequential. As far as the steroid comparison, um, it's kind of a what did baseball, what did Major League Baseball know and when did they know it? And just like steroids, they knew this was happening the entire time. They chose to look away from it because it helped. Uh, people tune in to see great pitching. Uh, people tune in to see big home runs and monsters like Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire launch balls through fences. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, we turn a blind eye until it becomes so, such a big issue that you can't put the genie back in the bottle. And again, as we talked about at the very beginning of this segment, pitchers have been doctoring baseballs since there have been baseballs. So this isn't new. It's not a secret. You and I know about it. We've never played in the MLB. Um, it, it is part of the common vernacular of baseball. It's part of the common vernacular of baseball movies. There is just a long, long history of Major League Baseball looking the other way. So back to your second question first, why are we talking about it now? We're talking about it now because it's divisive for the players. That That, that is the only reason that it's a topic right now. I want to ask you how you feel as an Astros fan all this happened because, you know, and we've talked about this on the show a bunch, and I think that there is a real – um, migration of how Astros fans re, 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 reacted to the story coming out about 2017. I think there was a certain degree of disbelief. I think there was a certain degree of embarrassment. And then I think there was a certain degree of hardening when 
everything that we were told would happen next, i.e. the problem would really get explored, didn't. And we were really made to be the scapegoat and the fans were the ones left out there to take the brunt of all of it. Um, and now that we're seeing one of the pitchers who was the most uh, shameless in his, his reaction to the Astros, i.e. Uh, Mr. Tyler Bauer, who is sort of chief among those that's probably been doctoring the baseball. And it does seem like there's about three seconds of internet anger. And then it's back on to why we're mad at the Astros again, really, and really uh, wouldn't that Sam Hill is happening with discourse about the game and how do you feel about it? Even at, at a personal level? Well, I mean, there's a couple of issues going on there, I think, and this is, you know, my opinion. So let's go with it. Uh, Tyler Bauer is obviously just exposing the problem for Major League Baseball. That's why he participated as uh, somebody who's doctoring baseballs. He just wanted everybody to be aware of the issue. It's all magnanimous. Um, and so how can you be mad at a guy uh, who is just doing things for the greater good of the game? And if you think I'm being facetious, that is literally how he and his agents are trying to paint this right now. Um, as an Astros fan, and just as a baseball fan in general, I think there's a number of reasons, um, COVID being part of it. You had, um, this, you had this cheating scandal. The Astros were guilty of what they were accused of. They had a scheme where they were stealing signs. They used electronic equipment to steal those signs. And somehow we ignore all that, but the trash can banging is the, the worst, most horrible part of it. So you had COVID where you were allowed to sit and stew about this. And honestly, baseball writers had nothing else to write about other than we're going to have to shut down the season until the middle of July. Um, you know, the monthly article of will it start at the end of this month? Well, it won't. Will it start yeah. at the end of this month? Well, no, it won't. Uh, when it finally started, it was a 60 game season. We've just now played 60 games with 102 more to go in the 2021 season. Um, so it was, on, there was no place to move on from that story. So I think that's part of it. Uh, the fact that the Astros are a have not historically in Major League Baseball and beat the Red Sox, beat the Dodgers, beat the Yankees to win that World Series is a huge part of that story. Because had they beat the Royals and the Tigers and the Rockies to win that World Series, no one would give a shit but because you've got the media capitals of the world in Los Angeles and New York and Boston so desperately wanting to be New York that they do whatever New York does, constantly not letting the story go, you have nothing else to talk about. And third factor, a lot of the players that the Astros uh, have, are used as their faces, namely uh, Carlos Correa and Jose Altuve are Hispanic. Um, there is absolutely a race component to it as well, which is part of the reason why I don't think you're ever going to see Tyler Bauer or Garrett Cole get a lot of heat for what they're doing. Cole basically admitted to everything last night in an interview, most, one of the most awkward interviews I've yeah, seen. Let's talk about that. And, 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 you know, look, here's the thing. And, and I know we're going to talk much more about cheating next week. Um, but I do, I, I can understand being a player and not wanting to like it's hard to say i'm going to take the, i'm going to be the one guy to take the high ground because all I can do is hurt your career talk about that interview though like how do you even attempt 
to half-ass answer that question, knowing that what you have just done was like you said, confirmed everything. And I don't for a second believe, just like when Barry Bonds said, I didn't know it was being injected into me. I don't for a second believe that a professional pitcher doesn't know what's going on in that baseball. Of course he does. Of course he does. Uh, to Cole's credit, he didn't deny anything. I mean, it was a, it was a non-confirmation kind of answer. And it, anybody can look up the interview because it's all over media right now. Um, but it wasn't, you know, Rafael Pomero saying, I've never injected my body with anything. Oh, wait, I did. <laughs> um, it, it, but it's very much confirmation of, I don't know how to answer this question because I can't give you the answer you want me to give you even though it's the truth, um, it, it's, it, it's, I don't even know the word to describe it other than it is so commonplace that I don't think the pitchers, as it continues to escalate from Vaseline to Vagisil to jalapeno snot to whatever that substance is, now to Spider-Tac, which again is an industrial strength adhesive, um, it's just the pr mental progression of an athlete trying to get an advantage. And I don't think they think they're doing necessarily anything wrong as an individual. I don't think that you see a lot of teams chirping about the um, adhesive being applied to the ball, maybe not spider tack, but other things. Um, and, and frankly, the hitters don't mind because they know they're not going to get killed by a fastball that's going the wrong direction. And we've already seen this year an escalation, it seems like, in hits by pitch with ultimately detrimental responses. I mean, it is... You know, it's on the one hand, we're like, yeah, of course we we have to steal signs. They're loading the ball, but of course we want them to load the. I mean, it really is a very um, scary situation. It almost it almost makes me in favor of moving the mound back, frankly, yeah. because I don't want to see I don't want to see Correa on the injury list again because he gets our our Diaz. I mean, we just saw Lidmus Diaz for the Astros seven weeks um, for getting hit by the by a pitch from a guy who said he wanted to hit an Astro and then he hit an Astro. And nothing seems to have happened. Well, and Astra, who wasn't on the team in either of the years that are in question either. But that, you know, neither here nor there. Um, yeah, it's just, it, it's it's a mess that didn't need to be a mess because everybody was kind of policing themselves. But now we've made it a thing, which Major League Baseball's pretty much horrible about. They've decided they're going to take action. And so now you're going to have a bunch of offense, which leads to a bunch of extended game times, which means we're going to have another round of how do we get the game shorter as part of the CBA, but it all comes back to the CBA negotiation. It's we're, we're going to do whatever we can to undermine the players, have them fight amongst themselves before we get into that negotiation window. And that's, that's exactly what's happening. It, you, and you're exactly right. And I do think, I think it started with the Astros by knowing that you're going to give immunity to a team. That's the only way you're going to learn anything. And now you've basically angered the rest of your player population. I believe they're that Machiavellian. I believe that they are that diabolical. And I believe hundred percent that it was all done exactly how the owners wanted it to play out. We'll transition to some good news for you. You are a proud possessor of an Aggie ring. You're a proud Texas A&M graduate. Thoughts on Schlosh from TCU heading over. Um, how, what do you think this means for the A&M baseball team? Well, I don't want to play the I told you so game, but when I was listening to last week's episode, um, and I know you and uh, one of your guests were talking about, you know, Schloss already turned the job down. Um, from what I've been able to read this morning and find out, um, Rosh, Rosh Bjork 
um, not, no relation to the singer with the swan costume for those of us of our age who might know what we're talking about, has been talking to Schlosh uh, basically since prior to the season beginning. Um, so these have been long-term negotiations that have been going on. Uh, there was never a thought about renewing Rob Childress's uh, contract. This was his last year. It was Lane Duck here. I think you saw the results on the field of a bunch of players who can't get motivated because they don't know what their future is, um, at resulting in A&M. A&M doesn't have the best baseball history in the world. They probably should, based on the resources and based on where they sit in Texas and having the recruiting hotbed around them and having money to throw at any problem. But historically, Texas has been the team in, in the state of Texas. And the you know when you talk about College World Series, you think of Texas, you think of USC, more recently LSU, um, Oregon State, uh, Vanderbilt. The, those are the teams that you think of. A&M has always been a well-respected program, but there never been a team to get out of the Super Regionals as a consistent threat to win the World Series. Um, you now have a coach who that's what he does is get to the College World Series. Uh, yeah, he tailed off a little bit in 18 and 19, mm -hmm. was set up to have a really good team in 20, uh, won the Big 12 in, or a share of the Big 12 and then the conference tournament in 2021 knows how to win. And I think the biggest piece that he's going to bring to AM is the mental game. Because one of the things that you have when you play a team that he has coached is they don't make mistakes and they very much come up big in big moments. That, that's been kind of his hallmark uh, since he's been there. And he knows how to get those teams ready to be successful in those moments. So from an exciting, you know, from an excitement standpoint, I think that's what AM fans are looking forward to. He's, you know, a hard-nosed guy. Uh, he's not lovable. He's not huggable. And I think, you know, players being what they are, you know, I think you hear some of this, well, I don't like him because he's been, he was mean to me. But to a man, the players and their families will tell you that when it works out and when you play for him, you're going to be a better baseball player. You're going to get better at your craft. You're going to get better at the mental side of the game. So, I'm hoping uh, in the meat grinder that is the SEC that we have that mental edge and, you know, can start uh, taking what I think is more of a rightful place as a more frequent visitor to Omaha, um, certainly in that super regional level, but uh, getting to Omaha every couple of years and making, you know, winning more than one game or going more than two in barbecue, which has unfortunately been our history. So um a lot, lot of positive. It'll, a lot of it will depend on who he brings with him or what staff yeah. he hires as well. So more to come on that. Let's talk about TCU for a second before we get out of here. Um, you know, I think that what we're seeing happen at TCU actually was, I think, inevitable when they joined the Big 12. They are on a, on a, on a spotlight. And I know it's been a few years since they've joined, but they've now since lost their athletic director to Texas. And they've lost their baseball coach to AM. Um, is this sort of going to be what TCU becomes? Are they going to become the U of H of the power five where when they get somebody with any degree of talent, they are have a spotlight on them and then they're going to get poached by the bigger schools in the state. I think it comes down to how much a school, and it's not just picking on TCU because I think tech has been in a similar situation. You saw the university of Texas take their basketball coach. Uh, yeah. And there was a different situation. There are different dynamic because Chris Beard is an alumni of the university of Texas, but it's how much do you, how much is a school willing to invest in what is essentially a non-revenue sport in baseball? There are very few teams that make money playing baseball. A&M is a team, a program that has, you know, it breaks even, 
And that's good because compared to most uh, college baseball programs where it's you're losing money, um, TCU's that's part of the draw to a Texas to an AM is that we do have resources to put in place if you need a new weight room, if you need a new clubhouse, if you need renovations that have been done twice since your competition has done them once, that's where you're going to go. And I think part of what um, you know TCU is going to have to face is do we want to backslide to where we were before uh, Slosh Nagel was our coach? Because that was a program prior to his hire who had made not the College World Series, but just the NCAA tournament twice in their history. Right. Um, and then he goes and makes, I think, 13 out of 15 years or 15 out of the 18 years that he was there. Um, so he definitely had them step up. I think they're going to end up offering the job to uh, Kirk Sarlus, former Astros draft pick. He is their pitching coach right now. Um, I, I think everybody's expecting him to take that job if it's offered. They have a chance to maintain, but they're going to have to make more of an investment in their facilities, in uh, whatever they're doing for recruiting, uh, and assistant coaches uh, in their salary pool for that to continue to compete at that level. Um, and you're seeing the same thing in football. I, I very much see a place where in college football, not that that's what this show is about, where the power five schools are going to peel off. And I don't really think all 64 of those teams are going to make that trip. Um, not saying yeah. TCU is one of them, but I could, you know, maybe the Iowa States of the world, maybe the Baylors of the world, maybe the Vanderbilts of the world, it's just not their thing anymore. Um, and that's eventually going to happen with basketball and baseball as well. So it'll be interesting to see, but TCU will be continue to be a good team just because they can take advantage of uh, the Fort Worth, the Texas recruiting market. And they do have somewhat of a national brand going on, but they're going to have to continue to recommit themselves to spending money where it needs to be spent to keep a guy. And they do it with football. Gary Patterson, they got very creative with how they keep him around uh, with oil leases and whatnot. So yeah, <laughs> interesting to see. Interesting to see. He's Andy Tom Chesson. This has been Goodwood. We will see you next week. Where we're going to talk about the triumvirate of, of cheating in baseball. Well, I was looking forward to the tabret, but okay. Go, go Astros, a focus on H-Town Hardball. So welcome to Go, Go Astros, and we are excited to be joined by Brian Arbor, our host. And we are, I don't know about you, I am tickled that we've been beating the pants off of Alex Cora and the Boston Red Sox. I have a very different but just as important reason to enjoy beating the Red Sox. I married a Red Sox fan. So uh, this has been, at least for half of my household, a very uh, happy uh, occasion that the Astros are going to take in the season series against the uh, Red Sox pros. Uh, before we get to the Astros, though, Brian, and it feels like they're finally clicking and getting somewhat healthy, I learned that there's something called an Anthony Martino, I think his name is, and he's written a book. Mm -hmm. And who would you trust more to know about the Houston Astros in 2017 than a New York Mets beat writer? You know, uh, nothing uh, screams to mind. The only thing that comes close is the Le 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 LeBron James production team tried to get me to speak for the Astros. And my first question was, if you're asking me, it means you didn't get the Astros. Um, Brian, I don't know how much of it you looked into. I um, have zero interest, but 
what is actually going on? I mean, is this what our lives are going to be like going forward? Can we look forward to a Ken Burns chapter 14 of, of, of his baseball doc? I mean, what, what exactly is happening? I mean, so there's obviously a, you know, well, this is three major league managers got, well, two got fired, fired, and we can say whatever about Alex Cora. He, he didn't manage for a year. Um, and so that's, you know, no other scandal in baseball history has had that type of that type of impact. There's no sort of, you know, on, on the managerial side. Um, so, look, it's obviously a big story. It's obviously something that people want a lot more context about. What I think we as Astros fans can hope out of this, and there's another book coming out later this year by Evan Drellick, former um, Astros beat writer with the Houston Chronicle. I, my sort of suspicion is that's going to be the bigger book as far as both media buzz and having better sources within uh, within Houston. Um, you know, what I think we need to hope for as Astros fans is that this provides more context about what happened, who did what, and who didn't. As you know, I know, and I think most of your Astros fans who are watching this know, Jose Altuve didn't use this system. We have the data on that that's been uh, uh, well-established from, um, from Tony Adams. Um, and so he, Josh Reddick, Tony Kemp are the three guys who didn't use didn't use the system. There's further evidence of that apparently in Martinez's book. So hopefully, in the case of Altuve, who's become sort of the face of the scandal based on weird internet conspiracy theories that people have decided to be true, um, that you know that's more context. I'm skeptical because nothing in this is really new in that sense, but. Hopefully it just sort of more reinforces that, hey, we know who used the system. We know who did this. We know who didn't. Um, this reinforces that, day, that, it's interesting that, that narrative. You, it's interesting that you brought up the Drellich book. And I know, like, look, Astros fans have their feelings about Evan Drellich. Um, but I don't – I do really feel like if you go back to the original Rosenthal Drellich article, it was even-handed. I always – I feel like it was even-handed. It was – going out of its way to say that this is not just an Astros problem, that this is the thing we're dealing with. When I look at how Martino has handled himself on Twitter uh, before he blocked me, and I, I mean, he blocked me and I'm a pretty nice guy on Twitter. Um, it does seem like he's going into this with an ax to grind. And look, you're an academic and an intellectual. No actual good writing comes out of already having a predetermined um, answer to the thesis you're writing about. So is that what you what you would expect from this book, that he is out there to prove a point that he already has in his head? Possibly so. Um, and certainly, look, I think I think the fact this book came out now is probably related to they want to get the you know, he and his publishers wanted to get uh, the jump on the Drellick book which again maybe I'm you know you know maybe I'm overstating that maybe I'm not you know but that's my sort of speculation um it is you know there's some level of this here's the thing we know more about what the Astros have done than any other team we know that other teams were doing maybe not the same thing with the video cameras, but had been trying to sort of, you know, trying to steal signs forever. The, uh, the subtitle of the book, you know, there's essentially sort of two parts of the subtitle. One's about the Astros and one it's about the game itself. I read a review this morning uh, from Cliff Corcoran, who uh, has this uh, newsletter called The Cycle. And what he said is he didn't think the subtitles would have lived up to what was in the book when it came to the second part about sort of the long and broad history 
that is often cheating in the past is romanticized. Cheating in the present is not. You know, again, it's, it's easy to figure out the rationales for that, right? That you know, hey, whatever Bobby Thompson and the Giants did to hit the shot heard around the world—that's a great lore and story, right? You're harming my team right now. Yeah, uh, is something sort of very different. But again, sort of speaks to, on the one hand, on the other, that baseball's always had about its history of nefarious, uh, nefarious deeds by players. I find interesting that the one excerpt that I think went around and to me, it felt like if this is your excerpt, I can't imagine what the rest of the book is like. And it was being upset that the Astros were stealing the signs in 19 because Gary Sanchez was tipping the pitch. I, you know, that to me seems completely um, above board in the sense that if you're going to tip the pitch, I don't understand why it's cheating that you are, are you supposed to, to just not ignore everybody when you go up to play? I don't understand how that sort of translates to cheating. Yeah. So, I mean, so one is I think that was the excerpt because that was new information. That was sort of the new reporting that uh, Martino had done in the book and wasn't something that was, you know, ground that, you know, essentially was established by others. So I think that's part of why that's the excerpt uh, that's out there. Um, and the accusation, to put more flesh on this, the accusation is that Gary Sanchez, when he put one finger down for a fastball, would kind of rise up more than he would when he put multiple fingers down. And, and here's the and part of it, the Astros were signaling that by whistling, which Major League Baseball had sent out a memo that you're saying, don't whistle, you know, don't use noises as sort of this stuff is sort of bubbling up and more and more of this stuff is happening. This seems a pretty, you know, even if it's a violation, um, this seems at a pretty misdemeanor level. And I don't think that the ash, the actions of the Astros in this are any different than if, you know, had Robinson Chirino's been doing the same thing, would the Yankees have whistled in? My guess is yes. And this sort of speaks to the general sort of, you know, like what is acceptable on baseball. One question to consider, and again, your point about this is what was said when original article came out and really feels to have gotten lost is, is this stuff still going on? Have we sort of cleaned up the game by A, having the big scandal and B, firing the managers and the general manager and suspending them and firing them as a result of this? And frankly, I haven't seen a lot of reporting one way or other to tell me whether, you know, you know, because clearly something we saw in 17, 18, 19 is more of these type of, you know, sort of we saw smoke. We saw this sort of, you know, bubbling up until the big break with the Rosenthal Drellick article with the interviews with the uh, interviews with Mike Fires. What I haven't seen anything this year, and obviously there's focus on the uh, on the sicky stuff uh, with baseball that's been with the baseballs and pitchers using that that's been the big thing. But have they cleaned this up, or is you know from this? I don't know. I don't. I can't make good conclusions based on the data we have so far. One of the other big excerpts that came out, though, was about, um, again, this is why it feels like a character slam on the Astros. I think Martino's got an axe to grind. And it was a, it had to do with the signing and the trading for Roberto Osuna. And apparently Taubman and Luno had an argument. To me, that doesn't really add up because Taubman kind of proved himself to kind of be a piece of crap, as we all know, after the ALCS in 2019. But it does seem like... Um, Again, this just seems like a real like we're going to make a, a lot of real 
untangential related attacks to 2017 against this organization for some reason? Well, I think one of the reasons why the scandal has fallen so heavily on the Astros is how little they played ball with reporters throughout times, how little Jeff Lunau in particular cared about his reputation with both baseball reporters and the public as a whole. And, you know, that's, there are admirable things about that from the standpoint of, I don't care what other people think, I'm going to do the right thing, you know, and the right thing in terms of, I'm going to try to do the, I'm going to try to maximize the baseball skills of our team. And I'm not going to go with convention. And there's a lot of advantages the Astros got that um, as a team. But, you know, part of, you know, look, the sources for so many of these reporters about what's going on in the game and how it works are scouts. Well, when you fire their sources, they're not real, you know, they don't like that. And that's sort of understandable, right? This isn't just my source. This is my friend. He also has, you know, he also is helpful to me in doing my job here, but he's someone I, like and respect and i think most of you would say knows the game better than i do um so again you know if chef lunau was nicer to the media would the scandal be as strong you know maybe not would it would still be a scandal and so you know it's hard for us as fans to sort of sort through this kind of stuff of you know what's you know well i think you actually hit on something Uh, I think you brilliantly hit on something and it's something that I had been saying since the beginning. When you looked at the coverage of the Astros after losing the world series before this broke, it was uh, talking about service time manipulation and it was firmly about George Springer, even though it was everyone else. I think it had everything Mm -hmm. to do with the Astros first reaction to the Taubman story was to call the reporters a liar. It was when you basically mess with the bull got a horn and then you got the other one when they stumbled into this other tangential story that came out at just the right amount of time. I, I think that it's got to be a tight knit yeah, among sports reporters. Yeah. And, um, you know, and if I can take the long perspective as an Astros fan, Drayton McLean was really good and really cared about public relations and what people thought about him. And I think at the end, that was like negative to his ability to run the team because he was sort of so focused on that. I mean, so one is I think he used that as a way to deflect um, not spending enough money. And two, he cared more about that and wouldn't tear the team down when it was necessary to do that. Um, to Jim Crane's credit, you know, Jim Crane's credit, I think for the most part, he doesn't care much about sort of public relations. He just cares about getting the team to the thing. But, you know, that has led to lots of sort of public relations disasters, which have, you know, accumulated on themselves. Look, if you ask me, the worst thing the Astros have done is what Brandon Tallman did to those reporters. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's, that's unjustifiable. Did they cheat? Yes. Did they cheat at a level more than other teams? Maybe I will dismiss, you know, if you say yes to that, I would certainly, you know, there's evidence to that. Um, did they do anything that other players wouldn't do? No, we all know that. Um, and in some ways, that's why more of the PR, you know, more of this is falling on the Astros is this is the villain that we have identified and know we can say bad things about these guys, even though, and look, look at the sicky stuff scandal, right? They had the question yesterday to Garrett Cole, you know, are you using spider attack? And he wouldn't say no. And some rambling argument that made him look like a seventh grader who was, uh, again, in the principal's office. 
Here's the thing I firmly believe. Garrett Cole's using sticky stuff. He used using it with the Yankees. He used it with the Astros. And maybe he didn't use it with the Pirates, but that probably wasn't smart for him not to use it. <laughs> then everybody's using it, including players I like, including players I dislike. Um, and the bigger issue is, you know, do we get this to a reasonable point in the game where, you know, it's not an unfair advantage to one side. And the more we focus on Garrett Cole or, you know, any other individual player, and the more we focus on the players and their behavior and not the, the way the game is, that moves us away from the bigger goal. Absolutely. And we'll obviously be talking a lot, about, a lot more about that on the show as we go forward. Um, <clears throat> we mentioned in a segment right before this one that Trevor Bauer sorry, Tyler Bauer, excuse me, uh, only did it to get caught to expose the problem because he is just that good of a guy. Um, Real quick as we wrap up, though, it seems like um, some of the doldrums of May are firmly behind this Astros team, and they seem to be moving forward. Um, What's your take on the Astros as far as just – how they feel as a baseball club now, um, bench depth notwithstanding with the injury deal led in this DS. So obviously the biggest thing we know about the Astros, right? The, the biggest strength of this team is they have high level, uh, top flight hitting talent. And now that Michael Brantley's back, that's one through seven in their lineup, seven above average hitters. You can carry straw and Maldonado. Um, and you see that in the numbers. They're one of the top scoring teams and have been all season. So that's as we expected it to be. The only reason we sort of like may have had concerns about that is they didn't hit really well in the 60-game sample last year. The bigger story, I think, on this team is the development of its young pitchers. And so Mm -hmm. Framber Valdez is, you know, back from his broken hand and looks to be a top-level pitcher. Luis Garcia, Christian Javier, these are developed into real sort of major league assets. And, you know, you have – you look at it, think – Hey, this is a pretty good rotation that can be really helpful in 2021. And as I look at Garcia and Valdez and Javier, this could be a good rotation and keep the window open over the next several years. This is a good ball club, which we always sort of suspected. And we're seeing that on the field right now. Yeah. And I really feel like uh, eventually the, the, I mean, I know that you're again, smart guy. It's why you're on the show and, the run differential stats, the Pythagorean win loss, I think will eventually catch up with, with the Astros. Just like, I think maybe the A's have been over their skis a little bit. Yeah. That's again, what the run differential numbers show. And that's what's supposed to happen over time. You know, it's 162 game season for a reason that it's a round ball, round bat. What happens on an individual game is, you know, not necessarily representative of the whole level of talent. They're the best team in the American league West their record should move to that. One thing I'll note here, I've noted this on this program before and in other places, the Astros play really well against good teams and their worst play has been against bad teams. So um, I guess the, 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 the bad news for Astros fans is the schedule's about to get easier. So uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully they can, hopefully they can overcome that. Um, unlike they've done several other times this season. Here's hoping we can get some revenge on the the fight in Carol Baskins up in Detroit. Uh, He is Brian Arbor. This has been Go Go Astros. Thanks for jumping on. Thank you, James. Happy to do it. Yeah, sorry for the technical issues, man. No problem. I don't know if that's your end or my end here. And now on to close it out, the right-hander from Houston, Texas, 
James Christopher. And that's right. That is the end of the episode. We had a great time at Warner Park. It was a great experience. I can't talk enough about just how amazing the facilities are, the game day experience, how great the staff is. And we also had some really good baseball. Um, the Storm Chasers, I'm looking up here because it's still the eighth inning and it's only 13 to 4 only. It's a real pitcher's duel. Uh, the Storm Chasers are hitting a storm full of home runs. There's a 90% chance of ba- of baseballs flying into the stands. No, we had a great time. We want to thank everybody for participating in the show. We had an absolute blast. So we'll be back next week with some even more stuff. We're going to be visiting the San Antonio Missions. So y'all enjoy the weekend. Get out to see some baseball. And let's get to it.